You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So, you clearly brought your sense of humor with you this morning, so let's, uh, let's keep it going here in the spirit of some of where we're going to go this morning in Genesis chapter 2. So this goes something like this. Adam was hanging around the Garden of Eden, feeling very lonely. So God asked him, what's wrong with you? Adam said he didn't have anybody to talk to. So God said he was going to make Adam a companion and that it would be a woman. He said, this pretty lady will gather food for you, she will cook for you, and when you discover clothing, she will wash it for you. She will always agree with every decision you make. And you will always be the first, and she will always be the first to admit she was wrong when you've had a disagreement. She will praise you, and the ladies in the congregation are going, what? She will bear your children and never ask you to get up in the middle of the night to take care of them. She will never have a headache. She will freely give you love and passion whenever you need it. And Adam asked God, well, what will a woman like this cost? And God replied, an arm and a leg. So then Adam asked, what can I get for a rib? Now, in fairness, ladies, I teased the guys last week, so I thought I'd spread the love this week. And we all know that what Adam got for a rib was way better than what he got for an arm and a leg, right? All the ladies said, amen. Absolutely. But today, we come to Genesis chapter 2, and we are going to dive into this amazing passage together because we're going to pick up, really, where we left off last week. As we started into Genesis chapter 2 last week, we saw that we are all made in the image of God, men and women equally, and therefore, we're created for relationship, stewardship, work, rest, but in particular, we're now going to see how we are uniquely designed for relationship with God and with one another. And so we're going to pick up literally where we left off last week. And if you remember, where we left last week basically was God had created everything, created the universe, the earth, the stars, the moon, the sun. And then he places Adam in this amazing paradise called Eden, in this, in this wonderful garden. And this is where we pick up our story, where we left off. So the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, and here we see this once again, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken from a man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked. 
and they felt no shame. So let's begin to work our way back to this passage. So Adam is placed in this amazing paradise, this amazing garden, and he's told, if you'll remember in what we looked at last week, that he could eat from any tree. And these trees are beautiful, and they're filled with all kinds of you know, different fruits, evidently, and food. And you know, it's just, he can have whatever he wants. But he's told specifically not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, in fairness, if I had a platter of your favorite food here in front of you, and let's say there were five things, and the fifth thing was kind of over here by itself, but it looked just like everything else and was just as good as everything else, but I told you, you can have whatever you want off this platter. You just can't have this. Where would your mind naturally go to? Why can't I have that? And the spirit and the vibe and the tone of this passage is really God had thrown the doors open to Adam. You can have whatever you want here. You can have any of these trees for for food. Just not that one. And the emphasis was on permission, not on restriction. It was an emphasis on provision and plenty. And look at all this that's yours to have. And Adam, very clearly, is going to want that which he can't have at some point. And we have this bent to be like that. And this is laying the groundwork for really what we're going to look at next week in Genesis chapter 3. So as the story goes on here, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And if you were watching our sermon preview on Facebook this week about this passage, up to this point, as God has created, he has pronounced benediction after benediction. It is good, it is good, it is good. And that's what a benediction is. It's a, it's a good word. That's what benediction literally means. And he's pronounced all these things good. And now we get to this point in the story. And for the very first time, God says, it's not good. Because something is missing. Someone is, is missing. And so God says he will make a helper suitable for Adam. Now, a question for you. What images, what perceptions, what conceptions come to mind when you hear the word helper? Positive associations, negative associations. Which is it? When our kids were much younger, they would want to be involved with whatever Jamie and I were doing, and we loved it, and, and we invited them to join us, and we would often say, you were such a great helper. And unfortunately, sometimes that's what this gets misconstrued as, is in some ways it gets devalued. Like being a helper is a bad thing. Well, that's something only a kid would do, or you know, Santa's little helper kind of thing. That is not what this is about at all. If you do just a brief study of this word in the original language, the vast majority of the time it's used, it's used to describe God as our helper. And the one who is helping is stronger than the one who is being helped. And this goes on to say that this will be someone who is suitable for Adam. And that doesn't just mean someone who fits and who's appropriate for him. This word also carries the idea of this is someone who is also going to be your opposite and contrast you. It is this idea of same but different. Same but different. And the bottom line is this helper will be an indispensable partner for what God has commissioned and called Adam to do and to be. 
This person will be just right for him. And so we move on in the story, and it says that God had then formed the wild animals and the birds. This is the same word, if you'll remember with me, that was used to describe how he made Adam. Just like a potter makes a clay pot, it's done with intentionality and care and concern and compassion and, and beauty. And this is the same way God also makes the animals. And this is fascinating to me. I've always read past this, to be quite honest with you. And this sunk in a little deeper this week in my own study of this passage. But God then brings the animals to Adam for Adam to name them. Why did he do that? I mean, he's God. Couldn't he have named the animals himself? But instead, he brings them to Adam. And the way this is written, and again, the vibe with this, the feel of this, the context of this, is that God is really enjoying this. This is fun. He's taking pleasure, he's taking delight in being with Adam and seeing probably for some entertainment, what Adam is going to name the animals. All because he wants to be with Adam, because he loves Adam, because he wants to, to experience this with Adam. It's an incredible statement, really, of intimacy and relationship. And can you imagine how that went? Adam, that's a giraffe. That's a lion. That's a platypus. You imagine God saying, really, that's a platypus? Yeah, okay, that's a platypus. Who knows if that's how it went? But, but clearly there's enjoyment going on here with God letting Adam do this. It's, it's really quite remarkable. Again, a remarkable statement of, of, of intimacy, which necessitates us slowing down for a minute and not missing the forest through the trees with all the incredible truth that is in these passages we've been looking at. This reality has to remain at the forefront of what we're seeing here. All of us are created for intimate relationship with God. That is one of the primary points of what Scripture has been teaching us in these opening chapters of world history is God created us to be with him, to dwell with us, to enjoy us, to, to soak us in, to, to, to be together. It's an incredible picture of intimacy. And therefore, you have to understand and appreciate that God wants you to know him in a personal relationship. The Bible is the only, how can I say this clearly? Let's, let's take this a little bit different. Christianity is the only worldview that teaches that God created us to be with him, to love him, to know him, to have intimacy with him. No other religion teaches this truth and this reality. Only Christianity, only God's word, only the Bible. Which, again, brings us then to a necessary checkpoint for your life and mine. So, do you know him? Not know about him, do you know him? Have you had that defining moment experience in your life, and it doesn't, remember if you can, it doesn't matter if you can remember the date and time, but have you had that defining moment experience where you have asked Jesus to come into your life as your Lord and Savior, where you've invited God into your life and into this relationship that he wants to give you freely 
Because for those of you who have, then this also begs the necessary, necessary question, great, then what's he teaching you? How is he revealing himself to you? What have you been learning lately about him? What has he impressed on your heart? How has he answered your prayer or prayers? How is he moving in your life or in the lives of those around you? Now, in fairness, all of us, like any relationship, are going to go through seasons where it doesn't feel like God's teaching us anything or we don't feel very close to him, or we're having a hard time seeing his work. Well, that's not because God isn't at work, and it isn't because he doesn't love us, and it isn't because he isn't working in our lives. But the reality is, if you know God, then he is your God. He's not a concept, he's not a principle, he's not a construct, he's not a morality. He's a relationship you have in your life, and it's an intimate one, and a growing one. By way of example, I have read this passage innumerable times in my life I've never seen the intimacy here between Adam and God with the naming of the animals that's something God personally taught me this week in my own study and then he said I love you like that I want to be with you that's pretty awesome He's a pretty awesome God but there's another reality that's being taught here and it's this that we are created for relationship with others. It wasn't what was missing. The question was who was missing. And we need, to, we need to do some business with this for a minute because it's very easy to do a flyby with this as well. Well, no, duh. Of course we're created for a relationship with others. Yeah, but understand something here. Adam had everything that a number of us would say he would ever need in his life to be fulfilled and joyful and to have purpose. He's in a paradise. Remember last week when I asked you to just conceptualize, have you ever been in a paradise? What would paradise be like for you? Imagine you are in paradise. It's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. It's everything you'd ever want to be in and around. I mean, it's just, would take your breath away beautiful. And you have whatever food before you to eat. And who doesn't like to eat? So you have good food. You have these animals around you for companionship. Even a cat, which needs no one. Probably there was a cat wandering around there. You know? Okay, sorry. And you have God himself who, who is dwelling with you. God himself is dwelling with you. He is with you in the garden, and it's not enough. And how do we do that? How do we know that? Because God just said it's not enough. What did he just say? It is not good for man to be alone. Adam has everything that a number of us would say, all you need in life, and he doesn't have everything he needs. In fact, someone is missing. Do you realize the implications of that? Of what we're looking at here? God created Adam with a need that he himself could not meet. You thought about that before? God meets our deepest needs. Absolutely true. But there is a need for relationship that every single one of us has with other people that he does not need, does not meet. It can only be met through relationship with someone else. 
And that's the reality here. Now let's take this a step further. Another practical reality of, that, of this is this, that if we are to reflect the image of God, if we are to reflect his character the way he created us to do, then you can only do that when you have real community and real relationship in your life. You thought about that? So what does true community, real authentic relationship look like in your life and mine? There are a number of passages that we could go to to help us unpack the practicalities of this. We're just gonna go to one. We're gonna jump to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews. And please understand, this is not talking about marriage. This is just talking about this reality that we're doing business with, this need for relationship with one another. And this is... A, definition of what authentic relationship should look like. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. A couple presuppositions with that. Number one, that you are in relationship with someone else. Presupposition number two, that it is an authentic relationship. A relationship that is a safe relationship, where you can be open. Presupposition number three, this is someone who you share all of life with, not just the parts that we're all comfortable with or even the public parts of us, but those parts of your lives or my life and yours that you would rather someone else not really know about. Your brokenness. Your selfishness. Your blind spots because you know you can't see them. Now we're, now we're getting pretty deep. And that's what this practically is calling us to as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God, is to have this type of relationship with one another, a safe relationship where you are known and someone else knows you because that is the only way you were truly going to be able to image God the way he created you to be. Many years ago when I was serving in the student ministry at our previous church, one of the things that we do, did in our ministry was we offered one-on-one discipleship to all the, the adults and young adults who served in our ministry, meaning that if you served in our student ministry with a high school or middle school, we would make sure that we paired you and connected you to someone who would disciple you. And what that meant was this is someone who would be a safe person who would get into your life to truly help you grow in your discipleship and in following Jesus. And the way we started this relationship was we would ask you to write out the 10 questions you wished no one would ever ask you. You write down the top 10 questions of your sin areas, your brokenness areas, your selfish areas, the areas that you're ashamed of or that you would never wanna talk to anyone about, and you write those down, and this person is gonna love you through those. They're gonna give you accountability in those, but they're also gonna pray for you in those and encourage you in those, and you're gonna begin to grow even more in being who God always created you to be because you're in real community and real relationship. And people came to serve in our ministry quite frankly, with that as a motivation because they knew they'd find and receive real relationship and they would begin to grow. And that is an example of the type of relationship that we are called to as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have a number of programs to try to help facilitate that. And again, the programs around here are a means to an end. 
You know, we have a men's breakfast that you heard about that's coming up next weekend. That can be a starting point for you to develop other relationship with other guys so that you can start getting down this road. We have women's Bible studies. We have men's Bible studies. We have community groups. We have these small group environments where hopefully you can begin to cultivate these kinds of relationships and this kind of community because you're hardwired for it and you need it, whether you know it or not. We all need these kinds of relationships in our lives because they help us become more like the God who created us, which now brings us to the rest of the story. Because marriage is designed to do the same thing, to grow us into the image of God. And sometimes you will hear, unfortunately, people say, well, you know, God created marriage to make us holy, but they just leave it at that. Yes, God created marriage to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus, but there's also happiness that comes from that. The two aren't mutually exclusive. God, God does want joy and holiness in a marriage relationship, and now we're gonna see the first marriage relationship and the first wedding. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh, and then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now there is much that has been made of the reality of God creating woman from Adam's side or from his rib. Things like this from one of the commentaries I was reading this week as I was preparing this message. As Luther observed, Martin Luther, the, the great church father, God might have taken a bone from a toe and thus signified that Adam was to rule over her. Or he might have taken a bone from his head to indicate her rule over him. But by taking a bone from his side, God implied equality and mutual respect. And there are other renditions of this out there. Here's one for you. Woman was made from the rib of man, not from his head to top him, nor his foot to be stepped on by him, but from his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. The book of Pinterest, chapter nine, verse eight. Right? <laughs> Just kidding. But that's where that came from, Pinterest. There are a lot of truths in what we're reading here. Because one of the amazing things about this is that woman, Eve, was created from a living being. Because up to this point, God has been speaking things into existence, and then he makes Adam from the dust of the earth, from the earth, and then he, he fashions animals, but Eve is the only created thing who comes from another living being. That's pretty beautiful, that's pretty powerful. And Christianity, once again, the Bible is the only creation story that gives a full account of the creation of woman. You will not find this anyplace else. And look how Adam responds. After the first surgery, and the ultimate surgeon puts him to sleep, and then brings forth woman, it says the man said, you know, it was more than that. He didn't just say, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken from man. Thanks, God. This literally says he broke out in song. This is poetry. Ladies, can you imagine your guy, the first time he sees you, singing love poetry to you? That would be okay. 
that could work, right? That is what Adam is doing here. He is singing a love song of praise for who stands before him. It is profoundly beautiful and, and amazing. And basically what he's saying here is she is the same as me, but she's different. Same but different. Just like Jason and Lily were illustrating for us with this sketch that they did up here prior to the sermon. The same but, but very different. But it's beautiful and mystical and powerful and practical because look what's captured here. It says that there's a purpose to this. And yes, this is referring to what just preceded this, but this is also reaching back to Genesis chapter one to the very end of it. Why did God do this? Because he gave this commission, this mandate to be fruitful and increase in number, to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Adam can't do that by himself. And this is why Scripture unapologetically, unequivocally defines marriage as one man and one woman in a covenant commitment relationship for life. And everything else that falls outside of that is not what Scripture would say is marriage. We live in a culture that is constantly trying to redefine and, and, and capture the essence of marriage by redefining it. But that is not how this works. Jesus himself said when questioned about marriage in Matthew 19, in Mark 10, he reached all the way back into the Old Testament to Genesis chapter one and two and said this. This is what marriage is about because it reflects the image of God and this is how God's mandate, his commission that we see in this passage in Genesis one is gonna get carried out because where it says here that a man and a woman become one flesh, that same word one is used once again in Deuteronomy chapter six, four, which is known as the Shema or the hearing. Faithful Jews recited this twice a day. Some still do to this very day. They recite this twice a day and it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Because somehow when a man and a woman make a covenant relationship for life, they are imaging the unity and the community and the oneness that is our God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, yet one. One God. It's beautiful. It's mystical. It's powerful. And there are no substitutes. This is what marriage is, is about. And we could spend so much time on just this passage. And I'm, I'm looking for an opportunity in this series to come back to this passage once again because there is so much reality and practicality and beauty and significance swimming around in these two verses here. But this idea of a man leaving his father and mother, this is more than, than two people physically leaving their families. This is, this is the reality of emotionally leaving as well. You know, I'll never forget the wisdom of my father-in-law um, who shortly after Jamie and I were married, we had this decision we were wrestling through and, you know, we so respected my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, two very wise, loving, godly people, and went to them for a second opinion and one of the first things my father-in-law said, and understand, I'm newly married to his daughter, he says, what does Jay think about that? 
And that was profoundly wise and profoundly godly and absolutely right with what this is talking about. He wanted to make sure that Jamie and I had talked about this and that we were wrestling through this together because he wanted to make sure that she had left her family because now she was my family. And the starting point for this decision was for us to talk about it and then to seek input, not for me or for her in this instance to go back to him without us talking about it. Do you see the practicality of that? And we could do this with united and one flesh. In fact, a wise biblical counselor once told me who specialized in marriage counseling and was extraordinarily gifted at it that almost always they could go back to Genesis chapter 2, 24 through 25 and with this not being acted out or lived out between a husband and wife, this was where the problem was. That it was somehow captured in what's talked about here. So I'm creating a little supply and demand here. I want to come back to this passage, don't you? And give it more due time. But it's, it's profoundly impactful for all of us, whether we're married or not. And this is where we're going here. Because one of the realities in this is we're all created for family. And I want to speak very deliberately but very carefully to this. When I was a student, I had two goals in life someday when I became an adult. I wanted to be married, and I wanted to have kids. In my junior year of college, I knew unequivocally that Jamie was the woman I wanted to marry. Didn't know if we would have kids someday, and we did. And I, I love my kids, and I feel very fulfilled. And that's a very real desire. It is a very real desire to want to get married. Now, in fairness, not everybody wants to get married. And that's okay. Some of you have been married and you're not for whatever reason now. Maybe you've lost your, your spouse. They've, they've died. Or you've endured the heartache of a divorce. Or maybe you've just never decided to get married, never wanted to. That's okay. And then there are, I'm sure, a number of you who want to get married someday. But it's really important that we understand what this passage is saying and what it's not saying we need to understand that marriage will never complete you the way Christ does. You see, whether you're married or not, married or single, Jesus makes you complete. A spouse is designed to complement us, but not to complete us. Only Jesus will complete us. However, that desire, that longing to get married, if you have that, that is a good longing. But here's the reality. Whether you get married or whether you don't, God is going to use, if you'll let him, the relationships in your life to make you into the person he wants you to be or to say it another way, to help you live out the image that you were always created to have. The reality is whether you're married or not, you are part of a family if you know Jesus Christ. That is the bottom line. And that is not the consolation prize for those who want to get married and who may never get married. No, that is the reality for all of us and it is profoundly impactful and important for us to understand that. Jesus said it this way, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, hey, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Interesting that Jesus said it wasn't those who were related to him who were his family. He said those who follow him are his family. Whether you're married or not this morning, you have a family. In fact, can we take this just a step further? Jesus promised this in Mark 10. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. In this present age, look what he's about to say. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. The reality is, for some of you, it has cost you your family in order to follow Jesus. In a number of cultures today, if you choose to follow Jesus, your family literally will disown you and you are out on the street and they will not associate with you and you are done. And Jesus promises, married or not, that he will give you a family. Take a look around because here they are. When you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you now enter a family. You now have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And it's a profoundly practical, powerful truth to help you grow into becoming who God has always created you to be because we discover God together. The great theologian John Piper said it this way, marriage and human family are temporary for this age, but the church is forever. I am declaring the radical biblical truth that being in a family is no sign of eternal blessing, but being in God's family means being eternally blessed. You are eternally blessed with a family here this morning. And we're gonna celebrate that reality once again. As our worship team comes forward, we're about to enjoy communion together. And this is a family experience that we do together Every time we take communion, we remind ourselves of the reality that Jesus seeks us and loves us. And instead of leaving us in our brokenness and our selfishness, he offers to rescue us from that. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, and through his sacrifice on the cross, he offers us life and hope and purpose and joy. And we don't have to live like that anymore. We can truly be who God created us to be and reflect his image and we experience that through family. And this is a family celebration that we have here this morning. So if you know Jesus, man, this is for you. If you don't know Jesus, this is for you. After you receive him into your life as your Lord and Savior, and I'm gonna invite you to do that here in just a minute as we pray. But I encourage you, come forward, receive these elements. If there's someone around you who it's not easy for them to get up and make their way here, would you offer to bring the elements to them and then hold on to those and we will celebrate communion together here in just a little bit. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone here who isn't sure if they truly know you as their God, that they would receive you into their life right now by just asking you to come because you've said you want to. And Lord, we ask that once again you will remind us of the blessing and the reality 
that you created us to be with you, to enjoy you, to experience you, and to have relationship with one another as well. So God, we celebrate as a family what you have done for us, what you're doing, and what you are going to do. And we pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. So let's celebrate him together. Come forward and receive these elements. I hope you believe that because it's true. Because we start out in a garden and we will end in a garden. And human history began with a wedding and human history will end with a wedding. And we get a picture of what that wedding looks like with what you hold in your hands as a representation of that. Because in Revelation 19, there will be a final wedding, and that is us as the bride, as the church, being wedded to our God as our groom. And so communion, amazingly so, looks back on the reality of what Jesus has done for each one of us, that he's sacrificed himself for us and risen to life and offers life to us if we'll trust and obey him and believe him. But it also looks to the here and now that this God is at work in your life and mine, crafting us and making us in no small part through our spouses, through the other relationships in our lives to be like him, to reflect his image. And of course we look forward to this day when there's gonna be this incredible party that Isaiah 25 says will have the, the best of wines and the choices of meats and it'll be a party like you've never been to before and the elements you hold in your hands point to this when we will do this once again with our Lord at this amazing wedding celebration because it describes it like this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting hallelujah for our Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear and fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So we eat and drink in remembrance of him and what we will get to do with him someday as his bride. So let's remember him together. have worshiped the holy God together here this morning, but now as we leave here, we continue to worship him by how we live our lives. So I'm gonna do something a little different this morning. Normally I leave you with some more truth from scripture, but I'm gonna press a little bit with what we've talked about here this morning. Put into action the realities we've talked about here this morning. Sometimes it's easy to come and to listen and to go, oh yeah, that was, that was great, that makes sense, and then Monday comes. And nothing really happens. So spouses, I'm gonna give you an assignment this week. Doesn't have to be today, but sometime this week, you ask your spouse, how can I help you grow in the image of God? Or to put that even more practically, how can I help you grow? What can I do to help you? To help you become more like Jesus as your spouse. And if you're not married, are you in a relationship in some way, shape, or form where you're known and can be known? Where there's someone who's been given permission in your life to say, how are you doing? How can I encourage you? How are you growing? What are you struggling with? There are so many ways for you to find that 
here at Grace. Maybe the starting point is to come to one of our prayer teams this morning and to say, you know what, I realize I don't have this in my life, but I want it. And would God reveal to me where I can, where I can find it? If you're a guest with us this morning, man, welcome. You're a welcome addition to our family. For you, maybe it's going out the hallway in the back there to next and to starting to enter into relationship here at Grace. I don't know, but do something with what you've heard because God has created you to reflect his image and you will only do that when you are in right relationship with him and right relationship with others. So let me pray his blessing over you. Lord, thank you for this church family. Thank you that we are your bride. We are your body. And Lord, we look forward to the day that we have just sung about when we are finally with you. When you have come back, you have brought the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, and we are with you for eternity. But Lord, until that day comes, would we seek to live out your image, who you have created us to be, and would we allow the relationships you've put in our lives to help us become just that. So God, guide us now by your spirit and thank you that you're with us. We love you. We pray this in your name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.